Metallica, here they come, the kings of metal. Welcome to Melt Your Podcast. I'm Ethan Luck. And I'm Clint Wells. This is episode 285, and we're going to go back into the deep end of the pool and uh, do a deep cut dive on the song Attitude. I brought my swimmies. You did? Awesome. I did. I brought my, my uh, what do they call it that Borat wears? The, the, the onesie? Is it the onesie? The it's like a onesie? onesie thong? Yeah, it's kind of a, it's it's like a, it's almost like a Speedo with suspenders. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, all I have to say is I brought that. Well, thank goodness, uh, because when you're in the deep end of the pool, you're going to need uh, the an appropriate outfit for that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is a it's a formal event in the deep end of the pool. <laughs> Welcome to Metal Your Podcast. Ethan and I are two professional musicians. Take time every week to talk about our favorite metal band, which happens to be Metallica. Thank God. You know, we were talking the other day on the road about how like some things are just done, right? Like mm-hmm. there's like all the food is done. We know what all the food is. Right. I mean, you can you can combine things to make right. a thing. Or... You, can, you can put spaghetti in a taco shell. Right. But there are tacos, there's spaghetti, there's macaroni, there's yeah. pizza. There's a, there's like, whatever, 30 of those. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Coke and there's Pepsi. Exactly. There's Dr. Pepper and there's Mr. Pibb. I just feel like much like some of those things are set in stone. Metallica, it's unlikely to change at this point. Oh, yeah, for sure. For them being my favorite metal band. It would... some some. Really insane things would have to happen for that yeah, to change. I, I feel you. Yeah. I mean, they've been my favorite band since I was in, I don't know, sixth, seventh grade. Right. So that is, that is not really going to change. I just feel like uh, the older I get and the more we do this podcast, it just becomes more and more remarkable to me. I'm like, mm-hmm. wow, they're just, they're my favorite band, period. I mean, there's not many bands that I truly love this much that I could spend 285 episodes talking about. <laughs> That's for damn sure and i don't even know even the clash i don't know like i do want to start that podcast i one think day you in my should because i would like to hear it well I, I i do want to do it but they're not they haven't been a band since 1984 or five right you, know? you so would run out of that that would be it would be a limited thing yeah you it, that would almost yeah be like a 10 part a 10 part deep dive yeah that or yeah or like or maybe just like two seasons you know, or whatever. The only, well, you know about this one podcast idea I have that I'm not going to share on this podcast. Yes, I know, but I think it, it's a great idea. It must too. be kept under wraps. But I have another really great idea, but it's got to be with Charlie Benante called Thrash Into Me about Dave Matthews. Dude, I think he seems very approachable. I mean, have you tried to reach out I on have, social media? I have. I've, I've mentioned Thrash Into Me to him <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe four or five times. Too many times. <laughs> Maybe four or five, and I keep hoping that like a bunch of our followers will like retweet it and stuff. And a right. few people always do. So you'll like at mention him in a tweet or something. He'll 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 tweet something. I'll quote his tweet. Yeah, and then I'll write my new caption that's like, "Hey, dude, we got to get Thrash into me going soon. Me and you, Dave Matthews Band, ten part series, twenty part series, twenty year series. Dude, that'd be awesome. But you know what? You know what? I wonder, for real. I wonder if he's scared. Because I wonder if he looked into my shit mm-hmm. and he's like, man, I love the David J. Matthews band so much. I really love them. Right. But I don't know if I love them as much as this knucklehead. Yeah. And so, you know what my new message to Charlie is? Don't be afraid. 
you don't have to be as diehard as I am. You don't have to know as much as I do. Because I'll carry that weight, baby. Yeah, some, they're, they're, some, two people can't necessarily steer the ship at the same time. Yeah, I mean, you and I have a really great balance of right. like our love and knowledge of Metallica, I feel like. Yes, and I agree. tens of thousands would probably agree. Um, but yes, there's, there can be like a counterbalance there. Yeah. He can be... what would his, the, Like the color commentator. Well, so you know more about him than me. Like, what's his energy? Uh, he seems like a very chill He seems dude. really cool, right? Very chill. Yeah, very, uh, pretty soft-spoken. Um, so maybe not a color commentator. <laughs> you're right. Right. He's, he's not the, the wacky guy. <laughs> or maybe you're the color commentator. He's the, he's the chick Hearn or something. Or... I don't know. I'd really love to figure out what our chemistry would be like on the debut podcast, Thrash Into Me, well, featuring only, Charlie Benante. There's only one way to find out. There's only one way, Charlie. Dude. Charlie, come on. Hit I, up Clint, man. I'm glad we started this combo because uh, it dawned on me while we were having it that the reason he probably has not been responding to me isn't because I'm a nobody in his world. It's because I'm a somebody, but I'm a somebody who scares him. Yeah, which is, you're not that scary, man. No, no. But my knowledge of the David J. Matthews band right. is formidable. Well, I mean, the, even just the fact that you throw in the letter J. <laughs> David uh, Johannes Matthews. Yeah. I like calling him, but I like call, I, I like Michael Jeffrey Jordan. I'm Ethan J. Luck. Exactly. Look at all the J's up in this So many biage. J's happening here this morning. Well, anyway, here's what we're going to do today for joining <laughs> us for the first time. Thanks for being here. We appreciate it. However you got here and... We're just a bunch of kooky Metallica lovers over here. And what we're going to do today is a series we call the Deep Cut Dives, where we take a beloved, or maybe sometimes in this case, a not so beloved yeah, Deep we'll Cut. Yeah, we'll see. And we sort of explore the lyrics, the arrangement. We get a guitar under our fingers and play through the riffs. And we kind of, I mean, Rick Beato, I think, stole this from us, maybe. But it's a little bit Come of a what makes this song great, except we don't have access to the stems that Rick has. Right, of course, yeah. I don't know how long he's been doing that series, which is really great, by the it's way. It's really good. Yeah. Actually, everyone should check it out. But um, but that is what we're going to do. We're just going to talk it through. We're going to listen to it. And I think what tends to happen when we do these is uh, you kind of, um, at least for me, I have a deeper appreciation for the song. Like yeah. I did Murder One, which is my least favorite song on Hardwired. But getting it under your fingers, you're like, this is pretty cool. That's a that's the beauty of learning a song on an instrument is you might like you said, you might not really enjoy the song in general. Yeah. <clears throat> but once you figure out the riffs and like maybe a little lead part, little harmony part, whatever, it just it, it takes on a whole new meaning to you and uh, a whole new life, I guess. Yeah. And you know, the thing with attitude, like getting it under my fingers and spending a lot of time with it, which I've just been loving listening to it. It's very motorhead. Mm -hmm. It's got a lot of kind of punk attitude. It, very much so. You know, it's in no danger of being a transcendent Metallica song. Sure. But not every song can be. No, There's no, no. You got to have your, uh, you got to have your leper messiahs. You got to have mm -hmm. your escapes and trapped under ices. You got to have your jump in the fires, your shortest straws. Yeah, for sure. The, the, you got to have album, dude, album cuts, man. Yeah, album cuts. And that makes it all the more exciting when, whether it's guys like us, like dissecting the song or the Mighty Metallica actually playing those songs live. It's a nice treat. Speaking of that, they've never played this song live. I figured there's so much material on those two albums that they never really jammed on live, which I get it. I mean, by the time they were playing this material, they had written an album called Master of Puppets, an album called Injustice for All, mm -hmm. an album called Ride the Lightning and an album called The Black Album. Right. And they did play a lot of these songs live. They did the best they could. They really did. I mean, it's tough when you put out two lengthy records like that in a yeah. short amount of time. Right. 
I mean, that's a lot of new material to cram into a set list. I really hope that when the time comes and they're celebrating the anniversaries of these, that they find some time to learn these songs. It'd be really cool. I this, mean, this would be a great one live. Good energy. Dude, it's like three minutes long. It's yeah. fucking punk rock. It's awesome. It's great. Well, we're going to burn it all down. Let's do some housekeeping first. Uh, you've got the notes here. I'll let you drive the ship on the notes. Yeah, man, no problem. <clears throat> Captain Ethan at your service. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. A little bit of news. Uh, simple stuff real quick. Metallica's doing the Bottle Rock Festival in Napa, California, May 27th and May 29th. We have a lot of friends going to this one, the Boston Calling Festival. Yeah, awesome. That'll be rad. I know Dave Ferraro will be up there. And Is that Post. at Fenway? That, I don't know. It's not at Fenway. Um, I can't remember where it's Oh, it's at probably exactly. on some like festival grounds or yeah. something. Or maybe a airplane hangar or something <laughs> probably in an airplane hangar yeah that's why dave's going actually it's, yeah exactly southwest, he works for southwest, southwest so. is hosting it that's right yeah he's gonna he's yeah, he's actually gonna handle all the band's baggage <laughs> <laughs> uh, kirk may i take your luggage please kirk is that greeny i'll be very i'll put a fragile sticker on that kirk <laughs> exits all here 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 and here because you know kirk checks greeny on the southwest <laughs> he flight. just checks it he doesn't want to deal with <laughs> it's it it's fine it's fine dude that's a really nice skb case dude it'll be fine yeah totally <laughs> Uh, second bit of news is uh, we all have heard that, you know, the, the fan that gave birth during the inner Sandman at their show in Brazil recently. Well, James, they got a phone call from James. Give birth in cool. Brazil. Give birth in Brazil. Yes, this is James. <gasps> oh, my God. Joy <laughs> C. And yes, hey. hey. Congratulations, you guys. <laughs> oh, my God. Hi. You gave birth during an inner Sandman at a Metallica show. That's pretty, I mean, probably not the most ideal situation. It's definitely not. I'm guessing. Um, I mean, it's cool. It's like high on the cool factor. Uh, As a dad, the, uh, oops, my wife gave birth to my kid at a Metallica concert. Yeah. I'm not real happy about that. I guess an upside would be at a festival like that or a big show like that. There's a lot of medical Yeah, a lot of EMTs around. Exactly. So... But uh, the cool thing was, you know, James, you know, they got got a hold of them and James called them to congratulate them. That's pretty cool. They were kind of freaking out, obviously, because yeah. they're huge Metallica fans. Right. And, um, but yeah, really, really cool. If you are going to give birth at a, a heavy show, you'd rather do it at a Metallica stadium show than like at a Cannibal Corpse club or show. like a Guar show. <laughs> <You> don't. <laughs> they're like, is that a baby or is that some demon that they've spewed out into the crowd? Because you, you know. really wouldn't know. Everyone's covered in like alien blood and right, shit. Right, exactly. And they have, they, you know, they have stuff that like moves and like, well, the baby's crying and moving. It might be real. We don't know. Is that one of our animatronics pieces or is that a real baby? Can we have, anyone? <laughs> we have five animatronic ba- bloody babies <laughs> that we tour with. We're not sure. <laughs> oh, my gosh, dude. That's so funny. Well, it's cool that he called her. I mean, you know, James is a class act. And, of course, this next piece of news made the made the rounds this week this as well. This really did. Yeah, yeah. This is a little more serious. But uh, James opens up about insecurity slash mental health on stage in Brazil. Kind of came out of nowhere. Um, uh, he was quoted as saying, uh, I've got to tell you, I wasn't feeling very good before I came out here. I was feeling a little bit insecure. Like, I'm an old guy. I can't play anymore. All that, All this bullshit that I tell myself in my head. So I talked to these guys, taking the rest of the guys in the band, and they helped me. Simple as that. They gave me a hug and said, hey, if you're struggling on stage, we've got your back. And I tell you that it means the world to me. And then Lars, Kirk, and Robert came out. I know. It's like. It was really sweet. It's really heartwarming for yeah, sure. It really was. You know, I'm sure the trues didn't like that because they're a bunch of fucking pussies or some shit. But <laughs> who gives a shit, right? Everyone deals Posers. with. Posers. Fuck, you sold out when you hugged on stage. <laughs> No, um, I loved I loved when he I mean, for him to be that vulnerable in front of that many people. Also, he, you know, knowing that it was probably going to be on everyone's cell phones. Of course. And stuff. Yeah. And this to see them without even like talking, they just came and hugged him. And it was great. Yeah. And Edgar was there who yeah. I'm, I'm going to be talking to about his whole trip to South America. And he didn't just go to one show, went to all of them. 
he brought his he's a great photographer brought brought his camera along and got yeah. some amazing shots of that moment i know it's really cool and dude his post that he put on his normal instagram page has like sixty thousand. i know views it like blew up it's crazy he's an influencer call now. that going viral <laughs> he went viral baby uh anyways after the group hug james ended by saying um and seeing you out there speaking to the crowd i'm not alone i'm not alone and neither are you which i thought that was pretty rad yeah i mean uh, yeah it's really cool a lot's kind of been said about it this week um yeah a lot of people are really worried about him. Of course, it, it fired up the speculation engine about what's going on. And mm -hmm. there's a part of me that's like, oh, you just have a tough day, you know? Oh, dude, for sure. I mean, there's days, you know, as you and I can relate to, music is one of the most important things in our lives. Getting on stage, it's very rare that I'm not having a good time while playing on stage. Mm -hmm. Even if something shitty happened right before. Yeah. That, that can kind of go away. Yeah. <clears throat> it's almost like a medication. But every once in a while, you just can't shake that funk. Sure. You know, and it, and it can throw you off. And th that might be one of these days for James. I mean, I'm sure people will jump straight to like, is he drinking again? Or exactly. Blah, blah, blah. That, and, and that, who knows? We don't know. Yeah. You know, there's also like, and we're not here to be tabloidy, but I'll say there are rumors circulating that obviously he's maybe going through a divorce. Right. A lot of heavy stuff going on in his life. Yeah. We don't know the truth. Yeah. We're not here to, to spec or, or to say that it might be something yeah but there's things going on uh, all the love to obviously james and, and his family and well you know we want our papa head to be 100 percent. yeah i think even the fact that he says something is an indication that it's cool like you know you, it's really bad when no one's saying anything i can just tell you that from what mm -hmm. me and my wife have dealt with in the last year the fact that he felt good enough to even say it right well because what i think happened I, you know i saw do a very similar thing not to take away from james's moment but and I also think it really surprises people that you can be in a band this big and be like depressed or unhappy, but it's really common. Oh, very common. Um, yeah. There's like some new stuff kind of surfacing about Taylor Hawkins that mm -hmm. suggests that he might have not been in a great spot. Right. There's a yeah, professionally there's a, yeah. leading up to, you know, his untimely death. And it's a pretty long Rolling Stone article about the whole thing. Yeah. Which is, it was hard to read. It's a tough read. It was sure. hard to read. Um, but uh, I saw Adam Duritz do that one time. I was at a Counting Crows show, big yeah. Counting Crows fan. And he came out and he said something similar. He said, you know, before the show, I was really not feeling good. I was like yeah. really bummed. And I I just felt like why, you know, he just couldn't find a way to feel joy about what he was doing. Mm -hmm. And he's like, you know, he, he was a little less intense, but he was like, you motherfuckers just made my night. Like yeah. I came out here. I saw all of you. I'm playing our songs. You guys are singing the choruses. It made him feel better. And he was like, I just want you to know, I'm just being honest with you. Yeah. And, you know, that was in 2006. And yeah. there weren't a lot of combos about mental health then. For sure. And, of course, Adam Duritz is a guy that seems to have built an entire, at least the first three or four albums, built on his mental health dealing with mm -hmm. relationships. Yeah. He walked on stage and he's like, guys, I got to be honest with you guys. Gray is not my favorite color. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it to me to just. There's a couple of things I wanted to be honest with you guys. I, I I lied in Mr. Jones. Gray's not my favorite color, and I have a rock in my shoe. Yeah, so, so sorry. but you guys really helped me with that because it took all ten thousand of you to get that one pebble I'm, out. I think I'm coming back around to gray. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course we love James, and it was yeah. a heart, heartwarming moment for everybody, and of course an inspiration to people to mm -hmm. know that they're not alone and to to just be honest. Of course, need yeah. help. and also just to you know turn to the people that are closest to you in a time of need. I mean. He's on the road with his bandmates. Yeah. And backstage, you know, he goes to them. He's like, hey, guys, I'm not feeling it. And that's that's really – and that, honestly, with dealing with mental health stuff, whether it's, you know, depression, anxiety, whatever, that's one of the hardest steps to do is to, like, talk to somebody about it. Not necessarily a therapist or a counselor or anything like that, but, like, even just, like, your girlfriend, best friend, whoever. Especially the world they come from, you know. Yeah. You, you mentioned it kind of the truth. Like, they come from heavy metal and mm – -hmm. 
you know, metal's not weak. And of course, they've been a therapy band for like 22 years now. But yeah, I mean, those are the dudes he knows the best. Yeah. You know, if your family's not there either in a big way or a small way, just because you're on tour, you're going to look behind you and, you know, however he feels about Lars after all these years, I get it. They're not sliding down the fire pole together, but you've been with that dude more than almost anyone in your life. Yeah. And you've climbed insane mountains with that guy. Mm Mm-hmm. Like the things they have done together bonds them in a way that's just inescapable. Oh, absolutely. For life. For life, yeah. So, yeah, like you, you got your dudes. Even if you're not like the best of friends, you you got your dudes and you lean mm-hmm. on them. And they'll be there for you. It's interesting that he tied it into like playing guitar. Like uh, I've had days where I felt like I couldn't play or mm-hmm. something. Oh, yeah. It's interesting. It's interesting for me to see that like my hero, James, feels that too. Well, yeah, because our heroes are supposed to be invincible, right? In in our minds. And he, like, all of that comes from him. So for him to feel like he's hitting, like, a physical wall with the material. Yeah. Because it it seems like he's plainly saying, like, I feel like I'm getting old. I can't play this. Like, he's probably trying to warm up battery. And he's like, battery's hard to play now. Yeah. It's like basketball players, dude. They hit a certain age. And doing what they did even two years before, they're like, oh, shit, I can't really do this Mm -hmm. anymore. And it's... To, to brush up against those limitations is painful and scary. Well, listen, James, uh, as a fellow guitar player, battery has been hard for me to play forever. <laughs> I've never been able to play a good dude, so take solace in that. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing all right. <laughs> One of our fans sent us a video of them just effortlessly playing battery. I was like, you know, I have no ego about it. I'm like, how, I don't know how you do that. Yeah, it's tough. That's really I mean, good playing. I can play the main... I can play it, but after about 30 seconds little wrist is tired yeah i can if i sit down for about an hour and just like hash it out and woodshed it i'll play it a couple times yeah i can't just pick up my guitar and play the song battery it's tough let alone all the other songs yeah i'm about to pick up my guitar and play attitude Mm -hmm. that's my shit there you go (laughs) (laughs) okay well we'll move on from that uh you can leave us a positive review on itunes if you like the show goes a long way it's easy to do whatever way you listen to the show i'm sure there's a little link where you can click and you can leave star. You don't even have to write anything. You can just leave stars. We really yeah. appreciate it. It's a free way to support the show. If you got a little jangle in your pocket and you would, people say all the time, they want to buy us a beer. They want to buy us a cup of coffee. They want to buy us a Ferrari. Right. That's one thing that people say all the time. I'll take a Lamborghini Countach. Thank exactly. you. Exactly. Can we get picky about that? Can and I see can the catalog? Christy Brinkley be inside of it? Uh, the, from the 90s? Can you? Can there also be a time I'm t- machine? I'm talking like, like vacation. Okay, right like on. When she pulls an extra Chevy Chase. Yep. I think it's a Ferrari actually, but whatever. Some sort of red right. sports car. We don't need a mints. It's yeah, yeah, some sort of amazing car. That's my preference. Um, I'll change. Yeah, can Kip Winger be on there too? With a headset mic? With a little Britney Spears mic? Pre Britney Britney Spears? He kind of pioneered that shit. Yeah, he did, dude. No, he doesn't get enough credit for that. <laughs> for real, he gets credit for writing a, a cre- creepy <laughs> song about an underage female. But let's, for now, let's talk about the microphone. <laughs> but you know what people say about now? We, we look back and we're like, that's gross. You know, like, and it is. And he knows it. No one gave a fuck. Not back then. I mean, did you give a fuck? No. I didn't we, give, were, we were young. I didn't even, yeah, I, I was young when that came but out. Soci- but did society give a shit? They didn't care. Doesn't seem like it. Any of that glam rock stuff. Warrant, she's my cherry pie. Everyone, like, was, all like, that shit. everyone was like, hell yeah, I guess this is cool. Or? Yeah. I remember, see, I remember going to see Cinderella and Poison. Right. In Nashville. And I, I think I mentioned this recently. Either way. Kip had the headset mic on. You can keep talking about Poison if you want to. They opened. And right before they played 17, he acknowledged. He was like, I don't know how we got away with writing this song. And I, my kids make fun of me for it all the time. But I guess we're going to play it. I can tell you why. <laughs> I can tell you how and why. Because he had a million dollar smile. Oh, that's most pearly whites? It, yeah. If you have a million dollar smile, think of, think of the things you can do in this world. Yeah. You just have that 
when you smile, like the sun hits it and it goes bing. <laughs> right. You, you write whatever fucking song you want, dude. Those reflective chompers. <laughs> <laughs> dude, CC DeVille has a song called I Hate Every Bone in Your Body Except Mine. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. <laughs> um, isn't it also funny? And then we'll move on. Yeah. Um, back then, none of those guys look like they're in their 20s. No, they all look like they're like 30s, late, 40s, late, late 30s. Right. For sure. Kip Winger is a good example. He had kind of like the scruffy face. Right. Even now, as a 43-year-old man, if I go back and watch any of that stuff... They're older. They still look old. It's because you were a kid when you watched it. Right. When I, like, If I look at a picture of me when I was 25, I looked young. Yeah. Vibrant. Yeah. Full of joy. Full, full of hope and yeah, dreams. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, Dr. Dre has always looked like a 38-year-old man to me. Yeah. He still kind of does. Snoop did not, though. Snoop looked pretty young when he first came out. He, and he looks the same now. He looks, I mean, he looks older, but he looks badass. Someone still. should make sure he's not a vampire. And not because there would be anything wrong with it. I'm pro-vampire. I just think we could learn a lot through science by studying him if he is a vampire. Yeah. I I wonder, is there like a a, a vampire district in Long Beach where he's from? Like, (laughs) I know there's Transylvania, you know. Yeah. That's probably in Eastern Europe, I think. Well, dude, I mean, yeah, that's it's kind of like with uh, Nightmare on Elm Street when they said every town has a Elm Street. Right. Every place has a Transylvania. Yeah. I mean, there's probably one in Compton. (laughs) Probably. And he probably sits on a fucking throne of bones. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he borrowed one from Danzig. All right. The, uh, if you do want to buy us a cup of coffee or a beer once a month, it's, it's pretty simple over there at Patreon. Plus, we've made it easy because we give you lots of good stuff. Oh, yeah. And you get to feel good about supporting us two knuckleheads who, you know, we, we really do work hard for this podcast that right. we built with our bare hands from nothing. Oh, yeah. And uh, we're like freaking Norwegian Vikings. We built it all from, from our bare there's hands. There's literally no difference between us and Norwegian Vikings. I can't no. think of a single one. And I'm using the word literally. I can't literally think of one. As we sit here in my air-conditioned studio <laughs> while I'm wearing <laughs> flip-flops with socks on, there is no difference between us and Vikings. No, not at all. Never murdered. Don't live in a mountain. No. Never, but, never built our own ship. But it's kind of, it's the same. But however, exactly the same. Uh, <clears throat> you're going to hear a commercial for Patreon, but it's patreon.com slash metal up your podcast and at the very least we'd like to give a shout out to the people who jump on the ride with us who this week are jeremy price mark potter graham and our good friend namarta kalia has increased her pledge amazing you guys really mean a lot to us and it's amazing we're on all the socials you know what they are yeah twitter instagram facebook even the norwegian vikings know what they are that's another commonality we have exactly that's actually how we met was through a facebook group i mean vikings unite (laughs) We have a volleyball team now. <laughs> we do. Shirts versus skins. We're also on Spotify. Uh, all right. Updates on Kickstarter. So as of the time of recording this, there are 20 days left and it's like 81% funded. You're close, man. So it's close. So oh, hell yeah. Basically, you just be pre-ordering the album and there's mm-hmm. lots of different ways. You can do it digitally. You can get a piece of vinyl. You can get the vinyl with like a bunch of the goodies like stickers and magnets and buttons. I'm also doing like custom mixtape. I'm making custom mixtapes unique mixtapes yeah of songs that inspired the album awesome so i'm gonna handwrite the track lists i'm gonna sit here and with my little brain and think of like oh what would make this one cool i'm gonna curate a mixtape it's just gonna be a different track order of load and reload exactly <laughs> it's just gonna be attitude <laughs> over and over right uh, i'm also doing virtual guitar lessons which several people have gotten that option awesome. so you can learn we can spend an hour and you can learn how to play your favorite lunar satan solo or a metallica song or whatever Perfect. 
There's also going to be a Zoom listening happy hour party that you're invited to because nice. you're part of the personnel of the album. Well, I'd be I'd, I'd be honored to be there. I have a song on it that's getting mixed right now, and some of the BGVs are like kind of Beach Boysy. It's kind of um, it's kind of ambitious for me vocally. Sure. And I got it across the finish line, but I did have a thought yesterday where because I have a lot of friends that are great singers, mm -hmm. and I almost called my friend Annie Wilgen to like just do it, just send me because we do that all the time. And then I thought, you know what? I like that the only people on the record are me, you, and Chris. That's pretty cool. So Chris Cockamese plays bass. Right. You play all the drums. And then it's just me doing everything yeah. else. So we I call kinda, that a power trio. I kind of like that. I kind of was like, you know what? I'm going to keep it like this. It's pretty rad. It's fun to bring in friends, of course. But like, there's something to be said about it just being very Lean. simple. I only had three other people on my Golden West record. Did you? Yeah. Well, there's a dude who plays two sax solos. Okay, yeah. I knew there were horns. Hell yeah. Yeah. My right buddy on. Brett played a couple uh, like kind of trumpet padding stuff. And that's and it? Then, and then our friend Charlie did uh, accordion on two songs. Oh, really? Yeah. And you played all the keys. I did all the keys. Yeah. Yeah. Which I'm not a great keys player, but I... I you know, I, I write within my ability in that regard. You have the ability to play almost any instrument. You can make an entire album. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget Tom Petty said that about Jeff Lynn. He was like, Jeff Lynn is a consummate musician because he can write an album, he can produce the album, mm -hmm. and he can play the album. Right. I, mean, I thought that, that was pretty cool. I mean, that's kind of, you know, with the, with the, uh, the two recordings I did with Paul, my uh, punk rock EP and then Let It Burn, uh, other than the instruments I can't play, I did everything. Like my punk rock one, all Paul did was, was B3. It's almost like you're a professional musician. You know what? I like to consider myself that. Uh, speaking of Golden West, that is now shipping, right? Yeah. Uh, as as of recording, I'm I'm like a day away from getting all my shipping materials, and it'll. it'll but by the time you hear this, they will be shipping. Yes. I, just like Let It Burn too. I, I highly recommend getting it on wax. It's really it's a fun listen, if I may say so myself. You may. And you be I proud did. of what you did. I am proud. Don't of it. let these motherfuckers make us scared to be proud of what we do. Oh no, I'm proud of I it. I hate for sure. that shit. I don't like it at all. No, I'm proud of it. Um. And uh, a lot of the feedback that I'm getting is like, man, it's it just it's a good vibe in the house. Like yeah. Angelo, uh, I think it was on Discord yesterday, said can confirm the Golden West is great poolside. Ah, poolside. Yeah. So I just imagine Angelo laying there in like a kind of a a recliner pool pool kind of chair. Yeah. Putting almond butter on his chest. Oh hell yeah, dude! Listen to some Ethan Luck. I imagine Angelo having one of those things from the '80s where you like reflect the sun back on you. Oh yeah. <laughs> Remember those? <laughs> yeah, it's when do like, not just do anybody wanted to get like extra tan. Yeah, you you have it's like the thing you put in your car to block the sun, but you it reflects the sun, I guess, onto your face. I mean, yeah, as if laying in the sun for long periods of time wasn't bad enough for you. You're like amplifying it. Well, because Angelo is already a stunning specimen of a man. He's a beautiful God, individual. Course, yeah. But when you get you ratchet up that tan, I don't know, twenty five, thirty five percent. He's like Kip Winger, dude. Million dollar smile, mm. million dollar tan, period. I'll bet he was sitting by the pool with a microphone, a uh, little headset microphone, too. Well, actually, I actually heard about that day, and I heard he had two turntables and a microphone. Really interesting. Yeah, bottles and cans to that's, clap your that's hands. That's where it's at. That's where it's at, yeah. Um, all right, well, uh, and then lastly, I have another podcast that kind of debuted a, a couple of weeks ago. It's only two episodes a month, so it's a very chill vibe. Mm -hmm. Episodes are about an hour long, and it's me and my friend Katie Featherston, who starred in some famous horror movies. She lives awesome. out in Los Angeles. She's a very good friend of mine, good friend of my family. She's a sweetie pie. And we're doing every letter of the alphabet, and we're just choosing something random, like events, music, films, experiences that shaped our lives. Mm -hmm. Cool. So the first episode is A. A was for auditions, where she breaks down what it's like doing auditions as an actress in L.A. It does not sound fun. She also talks about uh, getting the Paranormal Activity audition, which is a pretty huge deal. Yeah. I talk about what it's like auditioning in Nashville. 
B is going to be uh, The Bachelor, which I've never seen, but she's obsessed with. Okay. C, cassette culture. Love it. Uh, D, dating, because she, until very recently, has been single for a while. Mm -hmm. So she goes through what the dating landscape's like, which is news to me because I feel like I've been married my entire life. I'm assuming maybe she goes into like dating apps and things like that. We do the whole thing. Yeah. Apps, the culture, the first coffee. I figured B would be Beanstalk. <laughs> well, we started the podcast for the Beanstalk That's situation. True. That's thing. true. E is Eraserhead. F is fear because oh. she's studying some stuff right now and she's in a big horror movie. We did Gary Shandling. We did horror movies. We did Kiss. We did John Lennon. Nice. We did the entire city of Los Angeles. We've already recorded most of it. That's great. So it's it's like a it's like an album we're putting out. I love. I think you know when you mentioned like you love to hear me do a Clash podcast. <clears throat> I think I would do it kind of that way, like pre-record everything yeah. and release it as a big chunk. Yeah. Or stagger them, whatever. Yeah. You know, but um. I like when yeah, I like when people do that, like the season kind of deal. One last thing. It's already out right now, and I want you to listen to it. My band Attention Machine with Rachel Loy just released our new single Invi that. Invisible Rain, which I think you've said is one of your favorites that's of ours. One, that's one of my favorites for sure. And uh, you can hear that wherever you listen to music. All right, good grief. Let's get to the emails. The easiest way to get a hold of us, as has been since day one when Samim wrote in. It's metal, it's metal, <laughs> Paul? It's metal up your podcast show at gmail.com. We will dip in now to what we love and leave without you. The email portal. Sameem, where are you? All right, let's get this party started, dude. All right, our first email is from our friend Namarta, who just increased her pledge. Thank you again, Namarta. Thank you, Namarta. She says, hello, friends. It's been a long time since I wrote it, and I felt like it was time. I'm so happy you both uh, like the gifts I sent. We do. Thank you Thank very much. You. Shout out to my brother, uh, Rummit, who has uh, has now become a Melopy Podcast fan after I constantly talked about the podcast and brought him to the 40th anniversary shows where he got to meet a lot of the community members. Him and my older brother introduced me to Metallica. Let's see if he hears this email. Right on. <laughs> <laughs> right on. <laughs> you know, a little tangent real quick. Uh, sorry, Marta. Um, I've said right on pretty much my whole life. But after the Billy Gibbons story. I know. It's like really took hold. Now it's not, now, now I'd say it a little slower. Right on. Right on, man. It's, it's just like, such right a on. great response. I know. I love it. Love it. I've been ramping up. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. That's a good one. It's good because it's. you. If it's. <laughs> it either reinforces what's happening. It's mm -hmm. also kind of a way out. It's a way out. It's also. Um, it, it could surprise someone th that you're interested in something. Like if you describe something that you did. Yeah, I took a doo-doo. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's the delivery too. That's more the like the Dr. Dre. He did that a lot. Hell yeah. yeah it's right. kind of like this like long, you know. Hell yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I can't Dr. really pull that off. I can't do a Dr. Dre very well. Dr. Dre I think has the best, maybe next to Billy Gibbons, two of the best hell yeahs out there. Dr. Dre is so cool. So cool. I do kind of like a, oh, hell yeah. Cause, yeah. And I imagine in my mind, I'm sort of walking fast past somebody. Yeah. And they're like, oh, stop and look at this shiny. And I'm like, oh, hell yeah. And it's kind of just my way out. It all, it's right. almost like a launch pad out. Uh, there, there's also, a, a, <laughs> it's kind of a launch pad. <laughs> uh, a bit of a trampoline. Uh, I also think another version of that that maybe enforces how much you love something is Hell yes. Oh, yeah. It's almost like you a, change it to yes. It's a hell period. Yes, period. Exactly. Well, I, I don't mean to be crude here and earmuffs for anyone who's who's uh, young, but there's also a lot to be said about fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Speaking of that, hey, Isabel, would you mind making me a coffee, please? <laughs> <laughs> we did not plan that. We did not plan that. 
That's that, that, those are your wife's improvisational skills. My lovely wife, who's going to now make me a coffee. Isn't that nice? Isn't it nice to have someone who's very nice, loves you, and wants to help you sometimes? When my wife's at work. Uh, I, I've been trying for years, and my dog will not make me coffee. <laughs> well, well, it's the opposable. Thumb it's the opposable thing. thumbs, yeah. right? And the lack of understanding the 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 exact mechanisms involved. When, when I say. Can you just put the thing in the thing? They don't get it. You know what I believe it to be true about your dog, though? If your dog could understand all the machinations of making coffee, your dog would do it. Oh, yeah. They want to please you. Your dog would be like, you know what? You've been a really good owner to me for so long and like really helped me when I really needed you. And Like uh, eating and pooping. I would love to pay you back somehow, other than the love. Of course. The love is, I mean, that's... That goes on forever and ever until until they pass, unfortunately. But. Isabel, will you use this Peter Chris mug, please? I have a Peter Chris mug already out. Can we set up another microphone for Isabel? <laughs> well, I'd love to get. We'd love to get her opinions on Metallica and Dr. Dre. Oh, I love Dr. See, you know what I say to that? Hell yeah! Fuck yeah! Um, <laughs> all right, Nirvana's email. All right, she uh, goes on by saying, "She says, P.S. Harry and I have some time off around July 4th, and we're thinking about coming down to Nashville. Hell yeah! Which I believe is around the time. <laughs> <laughs> that was sincere, dude. That was sincere. So she's saying they might come down for, uh, for the Fourth of July, the Fourth of July in town Morgan Wade show at Ascend, right? which is July 3rd. Yeah, we're opening for someone there. Um, well, I, I can tell you this: <clears throat> Nashville's definitely not crowded on Fourth of July. <laughs> you know what? Not crowded in general. Yeah, there's never really busy, especially like on a Saturday. It's kind of a bummer here. On yeah. Broadway, yeah. I know. Pretty sleepy town. Uh, you'll like this, Clint. She says, PPS, I've been listening to Patty Griffin since hearing about her in the last episode, and I never really checked her out before. Her voice is like getting a warm hug after being out on a cold day. Hmm. Thank you, Namarda. I'm, really, I'm really glad you dig that. And, we, you know, if you guys can make it to that show, we'd love to see you. Yeah, yeah. Come on down. Andrew Bootsella says, hello, gentlemen. I'm just dropping in to give a big shout out to Ethan for the Golden West. Thank you. Thank you. I finally got around to listening to the record, and I absolutely dug it. The experience I had hearing it was pretty cool as well. And then he says, short tangent, which we're no strangers to the tangent. Oh, no. He says, I'm an avid runner and currently training for my second marathon this fall. What do we call those? Super mega... Super megathon. Ultra megathon. Ultra megathon. Yeah. Ultra megathon. Okay. Uh, he says, typically, I find it impossible to run distances with music in my ears as I find after several miles... I begin focusing on trying to find a song rather than pacing myself or Disposable Heroes comes on shuffle and I'm suddenly in a dead sprint. That being said, the exception is whenever I travel to a new place, I make sure to go for a long run and burn down an album front to back that I've been meaning to check out that I think will fit the setting. Some notable examples examples are Neil Young's Tonight's the Night, which one Tonight. of my favorite. <laughs> Tonight's the Night, Tonight. Dad. But for real, Neil Young's Tonight's the Night is, if you're in the mood for like 70s dark, Electric Neil. Yeah. Tonight's the Night's Your Album. Uh, he says, listen to Tonight's the Night in the Dead of Winter in Minnesota or Tom Petty's Wildflowers in the Spring of Upstate New Hampshire. One wonderful effect of doing this has uh, that whenever I put the record on, I'm put back into that place and can see everything vividly. He says, a couple of months back, I was in Vegas for the first time attending a wedding. I went for a six-mile run up and down the Las Vegas Strip and burned through the Golden West. He says, GD, it was perfect. For anyone who hasn't seen the strip in broad daylight, it is brilliantly seedy and wildly depraved. The drug-addled homeless and criminal presence, a sharp juxtaposition to the excesses of the bloated nightlife. Is Andrew a poet? Or... I'm pretty sure, yeah. He says, the music, cool, sexy, dirty, effortlessly laid back, and a hint of danger mm. felt like it was written for that run. Wow. I've never you should heard... write the blurb for the, your album. Yeah, really. Can you write my bio? He says, the album became my girlfriend and I sound... I thought he was going to say the album became his girlfriend. And then I made love to it on the Vegas Strip. Started dating your album. I hated every bone in its body except mine. <laughs> Isabel, have you ever heard that C.C. DeVille song, I Hate Every Bone in Your Body Except Mine? No. 
Good. <laughs> Does it sound like a song you want to check out? <laughs> she said kind Confirmed. of. Uh, he says, the album became my girlfriend and I's soundtrack for the weekend in our hotel room as we got ready, drank champagne and more. Now the album has become a staple in our Brooklyn apartment. And whenever I hear it, I'm back in the Golden West. That's cool. So killer work, dude. On this note, are there any notable albums from your own life that have this effect on you that transport you to a specific moment in time? All the best, Andrew. Great question. Great question. Great email. Uh, I actually responded to him pretty quickly when I saw that because I, I loved his email and I was very thankful you know, for him checking out the record and enjoying it. Um, my, the first one that popped off the top of my head was Long Gone Before Daylight by The Cardigans. It mm-hmm. immediately takes me back to being in Scandinavia and buying that record before it came out here. Mm-hmm. When I hear that record, I immediately get like taken right back to that that time in my life where I, I was the first time I was being blown away by that record. Right. Just like, what the hell? And I'm still blown away by that record. It, 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 it's an amazing album. Yeah. I'm sure we could go through a list of a dozen records that, that do that, but that was the first one that popped in my head. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I have such a visceral connection to the records I love that I could probably do it with any record. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you named any record, I could probably connect it to a physical memory, a right. visceral memory. A lot of it for me would be in early 90s. Mm-hmm. I mean, I you know, I'm thinking now of my childhood home and uh, I mean, without going into a lot of details, records are just all I had. Yeah, you know that, and maybe MTV. Sure. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, that uh, that's how I relate to music. That's why it's just such an important force for mm-hmm. me. No, oh, yeah, so, and you're right. Like, I mean, I could pull <clears throat> numerous records out of my record collection and be like, I remember when I first heard this. I remember what yeah. I was doing. You know, all that stuff. I mean, I remember the room I was sitting in when I saw Inner Sandman on MTV. Yeah, I remember that same room. A big video was plush. I remember. Waiting for uh, what did they call it when like celebrities would play baseball, rock jock? What was that called? I think it was rock. Wasn't it rock jock? Remember that? Yeah, it was like a celebrity baseball tournament. Like or you could see like Snoop Dogg playing like softball. Right, with, right. It would be like athletes. Or was it, it rock and sock? Maybe I can't remember. Someone's gonna write in, but yeah, I just looked for like or the VMAs. Mm-hmm. Like there were certain MTV events, and so waiting for the estranged video to come. Yeah, on, totally. You know. And then holding certain, yeah, holding certain records, holding Appetite for Destruction, mm-hmm. waiting for my parents to go to sleep. But my parents, I think they inverted the cover so it wasn't that cross. Right. But the inside is even more fucked oh, up. Oh, it's real gnarly. I think yeah. they had just like a, a, a liner notes part. Mm-hmm. But I remember that they, they would go to sleep and I would just look at like all the skulls yeah. on the cross and be like, this one's Axel, that's Duff. Oh, that's Steven. Yeah, totally. Like I have a million of those. Oh, I have so many memories. I mean, the Appetite one, I've, I've shared this story before. Where, the cassette. Where my mom ripped it up in front of my face. Yeah. Yeah, and I taped it back together when they left. Yeah, my mom took the, yeah, my mom took a Dr. Dre tape that, that, that it was the, um, Nothing but a G thing, but the B side was "Who's a Man with a Master Plan." I won't say the second part. Right. My mom took that swiftly, and then the whatever Danzig tape I had with like a bewinged demon with breasts out. <laughs> yeah. She was like, I think "Yeah, it was Danzig three, I think. I'm going to take that." I do remember my mom li- when I got facelift. Uh, she was pretty skeptical about "Man in the Box." Yeah. The whole deny your maker thing. Right. Which I would go on to do actually, um, <laughs> but I do remember when that record came out. She was worried about the content. Sure. And she listened to the whole record with me and read the lyrics with me. Wow. And at the end of it was like, oh, this is fine. Have fun. I mean, that's cool that she did that. I thought it was really cool. I mean, obviously the coolest thing would be to just let you do your thing. But most parents, like my mom, just looked at one thing. Right. I mean, Appetite, there's some gnarly content on there, of course. (laughs) There really is. I mean, there's audio of Axl Rose having sex with Steven Adler's girlfriend. I mean, it's gnarly. Which is awesome. Totally cool. (laughs) Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, the thing the that thing- is a mind blowing thing that happened in the studio. <laughs> I remember. Wh- I know what a shithead. First of all, what a yeah. shithead, and you know, obviously betrayed trust. But the thing is, dude. I mean, they live in a different world, man. Yeah. Look at what happened with George Harrison and Eric Clapton. Those dudes stayed buddies. Yeah. And then I actually just read for the first time ever that George slept with Ringo's wife. And that was kind of swinging 60 shit. And they were Beatles, dude. Yeah. And, and dude, I hate to say it, but Stephen Albert's probably so gacked out. And who knows what he was doing? Right. He might. It's, he, not, it's not like he was at, at church saying his prayers. He might, yeah, exactly. He might have not have even known what was happening. And, but it's pretty, cared. But pretty brutal to do it and brutal to record it and put it on your album. I mean, I remember... This is crazy. So before I knew that was an actual fact of that record, when I was younger in like junior high and talking to my friends about music and that, a bunch of us used to pretend that that's what happened. We're like, like, oh yeah, like he was having sex with someone in the studio. They recorded it, right? But and, and at the time we were thought we thought, oh, it's just someone moaning in the studio. There's no way that really happened. Yeah. Fast forward 25 years, I'm like, it really happened. <laughs> Dreams do come true. We were we were thinking we were making it up, right? But we had no idea that was well. A you, what you were you were actually willing it into reality. I guess that yeah, that's probably what we. Did. I guess that's how it works. I was going to say to tie up the visceral memory thing. Yeah, one of my most visceral memories is my mom taking me to whatever record store in the mall and buying me three cassettes. One was Vanilla Ice, Ice Ice Baby. Okay, I had no personal music collection. Yeah, I mean I must have been seven, and she was basically she was basically giving me my first records. Awesome. Now, I loved music on the radio and shit, but she bought me Vanilla Ice, Ice Ice Baby, which I fucking adored. Yeah. MC Hammer, You Can't Touch This. Mm-hmm. She just bought me the popular shit. And I remember her holding the cassette tape for Nevermind. And she goes, you know the song, I'm so happy because today I found my yeah. friends. It's in my head. She sang a lyric to Lithium. Wow. And I remember being like, I don't know that, but it sounds cool. Awesome. Uh, and she bought that was one of the three first tapes I ever got. That's so cool. One was never mind. That's and, so cool. And to this day, Lithium and In Bloom, are more so than the bit than Teen Spirit or Come As You mm-hmm. Are, those are the, my two anchor points. It, it's it's really cool. I mean, I, I would hope that most people would remember the first time that someone gave them music. Yeah. You know, for me, it was like, you know, my dad had a great vinyl collection. Rest in peace, vinyl collection's gone. Well, <laughs> I thought you were going to say, right, rest in peace, your dad. Oh, no, I was no, like, no, oh, my, my da- God, no, dude. My, I, did, I forgot to tell you, my dad. Oh, no, my God. My dad's still alive. Okay, good. Thank goodness. Um, but you know, obviously, my dad would have music on and stuff like that. Rest in peace, my dad's record, record collection. collection. <laughs> <laughs> that does not deserve a hell yeah at all. No, fuck that. But I remember the first time he t- he took me to like a Sam Goody or Tower Records or something. That's what mine was, like a Sam Goody. And I'd saved up allowance because because they I think they got me like a Walkman for Christmas, and it was like time to buy some tapes. Fuck yes. And dude, I got. <laughs> my first two cassettes let's hear him weird al yankovic even worse okay because i thought it was hilarious is that the one with the weird michael jackson on the cover yeah yeah, yeah. It has eat it um, yeah. <laughs> um and the rocky four soundtrack oh yeah because i loved that movie at the time and the music was so i still love the remember, soundtrack. remember when tapes were like 15 bucks well there was i, I don't know if it's sam goody or whatever but there was a point remember the, like the, like john mayer's new record they they, they the marketing was great we had the nice price mm-hmm. that was like I've got it right. It's literally the tape is right behind your head. Saw it, it was either a uh, Sam Goodyear, like a, another place called Music Plus mm-hmm. that was around. Um, but but there was one store where the, none of their tapes were ever over ten dollars. Okay, no matter what, it was right. awesome. And then I bought a vinyl, and my dad let me buy Alice Cooper's Trash. Wow, that had Poison on it. That was the big song at the time. Yeah, but he knew Alice Cooper from the sixties and seventies. Yeah, and, Alice Cooper's fine. And he was probably like, yeah, "It's okay." I'm eighteen. Yeah, um, but yeah, those were the first three my dad took me to buy. It was like. 
I'll never forget that. I bought so many. Did you guys ever have a Kmart? Oh, yeah. It was like Walmart, but even shittier, if you can imagine that. <laughs> right. Yeah, we had Kmart. And we were definitely the Kmart family. And uh, I would buy a lot of tapes at Kmart. Now, I because I'm who I am, mm-hmm. I'm still just who I was. Sure. I'm sure you are, too. Yeah. Um, I like the the rough shit. I like the yeah. shit. I like the real shit. So a lot of the records I liked had, you know, profanity on them and, and questionable mm-hmm. content. Right. But I always bought a lot of my tapes at fucking Kmart. So a lot of them were censored. Oh, like I would get yeah. a print. I would. Get, I remember getting the Love Symbol album, which has seven on it, which, as you know, is one of my favorite Prince songs. Sure. And uh, that song doesn't have anything in it. But some of the Prince had a lot of profanity and shit. I mean, in fact, we would listen to uh, Pussy Control in the in <laughs> right. the van. Uh, I mean, but, Darling Nikki talks about masturbation. It's yeah. But nothing worse than when you're a kid and you just want that juice. You want that adult juice. Like mm-hmm. you want you want to touch the 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 walls of the adult life that's coming for you, like right. a freight train. And then it's all bleeped out and fuck fucking changing. You're like, uh uh-uh, new. And and some records, they would actually uh, like record an alternate vocal for the censor. What did they always say? And what was the radio edit of Jeremy? Oh, Seema Harmless, little, little fuck that part. Yeah. They always like in my hometown, the radio, they just reversed. They put a reverse effect on the words. Harmless little. Okay. (laughs) I don't remember that. I remember. Because that was a huge radio song. Oh yeah. Huge. With a big old F-bomb in the middle of it. Oh yeah. A lot of times it was just kind of like, seem to hum, it's a little, psh, like a little weird, weird <laughs> noise, not a shush, but like a, like a static, almost like, it'd be cool if they put a hell yeah, <laughs> right on, hum, that's a little right on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Tangent City. Thank you, Andrew. Okay. Our next email is from Rob Darcy. Uh, hi guys. Thanks so much for Tangent City 7. It was a fun ride as well as a good drinking session for you guys. Seemingly. Uh, Clint, sorry to raise the Nirvana debate, but I'm with Paul and Ethan on this one. If you look at things that Dr. Dre and Liam Howlett said about Nirvana, it's clear this band united the tribes of musical genres in a way that maybe the Stone Roses did similarly with indie and rave via Manchester, the Manchester scene. But see, the Stone Roses mean nothing to us. And they, 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 we have like no reference point for yeah, that, do we? we? we, we I don't. No. Oh, this doesn't... They're, they're like a UK hard rock cool band. band. Yeah, but. right. Exactly. Anyways, he says, being 15 years old, 1991, what I recognized in Nirvana were doing along with the with the Prodigy, um, so he's kind of comparing, I guess, you know, nations, uh, where these records were, that were being put out on, uh, put on at parties and nobody complained. Everybody went nuts and lost their shit together. Uh, the, 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 the catharsis that Nirvana offered spiritually and emotionally via their politics and feminist anti-jock stance, the opportunity for teenage angst to be released via punk rock, primal scream with no uh, shred of pretense, as well as the fact of advertising that anyone, black, white, gay, straight, boy, or girl, could pick up a guitar and play one of their songs due to to their lullaby-like simplicity meant that the world felt like it had a new big brother called Kurt, who was the most awesome dude in town. His, his suicide hit hit all our generation like a loss of a sibling, and that's why Nevermind being in the best albums ever represents so much more than just record. It represents a generation losing their minds with unhinged abandon, unhinged abandon in a glorious mosh pit with zero self-consciousness and their best friend leading the charge. Uh, ends by saying, anyways, this was a tangent city on top of the mall, um, uh, and I'm also really enjoying the social commentary on the big historic moments. Let's let, let's hope the war in Ukraine doesn't escalate and create more. Love your work. Love Metallica. Have fun always. Rob Darcy from Tunstall, Richmond, North Yorkshire, England, New Jersey. I mean, what he just described to me is a very personal, very subjective take on it. Mm-hmm. His references mean nothing to me. The Prodigy, Stone Roses, I have no anchor points for that. Yeah, we don't. It, it, well, I mean, obviously we didn't grow up where you grew up. Um, and Kurt. Rob, so. And, you know, Kurt wasn't the only guy that was like cool in all the ways that he just described coolness right open to everybody 
hated the sort of anti-gross chick thing. Very much Eddie Vedder. Eddie Vedder did that. Chris Cornell did that. It yeah. was it was a class of guys that looked at all that shit and yeah. were like, that's stupid. Right. Fuck that. Okay, moving on. John Rivera. Hey, guys. Just wanted to tell you about a crazy week and a half I had. First of all, not long ago, my wife and I celebrated our 25th anniversary. Congratulations, by the way. Congrats. Now, I've been playing guitar since about 1986, and officially, my wife thinks I have too many guitars. But for our 10th anniversary, she got me the Randy Rhodes V that I'd been coveting since I was a kid. In recent years, my quote-unquote white whale, so to speak, has been an explorer, just any explorer, as long as it's matte black, a fact that my 21-year-old daughter is aware of. So, for our anniversary, my wife makes me close my eyes so she could bring out a box, which was obviously too big to wrap. It's clearly a new guitar, and when I open the thing up, it's a snake bite. Hell yeah. He says, how the hell she knew that a matte black snake bite would defeat anything else is beyond me. She's not a Metallica fan, but did just enough research with my daughter's help, even though it's not technically an explorer, to absolutely crush it. No words could express my joy. That's pretty cool. That's really cool. He says, then a few days later, tickets for the August Pittsburgh show went on sale. Sort of an afterthought, as I have seen the boys over a dozen times, and it's not like they're supporting an album right now. But as a goof, I asked my 18 and 14-year-old sons if they would go with me if I could get tickets. They both love Metallica, so they said yes. I went online pretty late in the day, but lo and behold, something that I never thought would happen, I'm going to see Metallica with my sons. I never thought they'd be touring long enough for this to happen, since I've been on the ride since 84, and again, there really are no words, which, dude, congrats, man, to be I mean, able to share that to, to, yeah. to share that with your kids and pass the baton, as it were. Mm-hmm. That's got to be pretty cool. I mean, my the closest I've gotten, I don't know if you do this with your nieces or, or whatever, but like, what, maybe just watching movies with my daughter that I liked when I was a kid. Right. Because she's not old enough for me to take to a Metallica concert. Uh, with my niece, I mean, she's, they don't, her and her friends don't really watch movies. Yeah. Movies they, are kind of dead. They might maybe every once in a while go to a movie, but like they're just, their movies are TikTok. It's, it's really sad. I know. You know, so it's like, but for, for my niece or nephews, it's more of like a social hang. Like, hey, let's go grab lunch together. Yeah. Spend some time together. Which that's know? cool. It's great. Yeah. It is hard to talk to your friends in a movie. It is, yeah. But what used to happen when movies mattered is everyone would go be, everyone saw all the movies. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And so it was just, it was part of the conversation elsewhere. It was what people talked about at work. It's what people talked about at dinners. Right. It's what families talked about when they sat at home and had dinner. You know, it's mm-hmm. like movies were just a really big part of the combo. Now, oh, yeah. now it's like, did you see that TikTok? And it's like, no, I, but I did watch a million TikToks yesterday, but I yeah. didn't see that one. Did you see that funny viral thing? Did you see that pebble in a waterfall? Yeah. <laughs> All right. He goes on to say last, he says, Clint, you'll love this. I work for Nike HQ and NYC. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, dude. Give me the hookup on them Jordan 1s, baby. He says, we were uh, we were supporting a meeting with the Jordan brand in the office, and the rumor was that MJ himself, that's Michael Jeffrey Jordan, mm-hmm. would be attending. Sure enough, there was the king himself spending the day in our office, not stupid enough to go ask for a picture or an autograph. I was just happy to know that he was there getting coffee. But then as he was leaving, he happened to meander over to where I was standing while the subject of his free throw line dunk came up among the people he was talking to. At this point, he looks at the entire room, myself included, and says, y'all know the difference between when Dr. J did it and when I did it? And then parenthetically, he says, if you don't know, Dr. J was the first to dunk from the free throw line. He finally says, when Dr. J did it, he ran with the ball, but I dribbled the whole way. For some reason, I blurted out, so you're saying that Dr. J traveled. He laughs, looks at me, and says, there you go. My knees buckled. I'm a 50-year-old guy who really doesn't think that anybody is more important than anybody else. But the GOAT, that would be like making Hetfield laugh for me. You guys are the best, John Rivera. Pretty cool. To 
spend the day with MJ, okay, even if she's just around your office, then to have him sort of doing a little inside basketball mm-hmm. about one of his most you know famous things. Right. And then for you to have a little riff with him, a little rapport. And he responds. And he responds. It's pretty cool. Very cool. No one's too cool to not like that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it'd be, it, it, I mean, for me or you, if we were working in an office, then he happened to just be there and he just walked by. That would probably be enough. Like, wow. I was just in the same room as Michael Jordan. I When I was in Vegas with, or not Vegas, I was in uh, Miami with Morgan. We were doing an acoustic thing and it was at a hard rock cafe. Right. The server chick had just been working the, whatever, the NASCAR or F1. Jordan has like a car. Yeah. There's a Jordan brand. I don't know if it's NASCAR or F1. Don't write in. I don't care. But it's some <laughs> racing thing. Right. And uh, she was like, yeah, well, I actually worked that event and like Jordan, you know, I basically was in the, I served Jordan and his posse and stuff. That's amazing. And she said it was cool, but it, there was definitely like a no, no picture. Oh yeah. D- d- no eye contact type vibe. Well, yeah. I mean, especially when you're doing something kind of private like that, like it seemed like, you know, in the Nike office it was more, at least maybe at this point when John got to chime in or whatever, it was more of like a casual, yeah. we're having fun, yeah. telling a story, whatever. Well, and, and I guess at this thing, she was saying that he was with his entire family. So the di- that dynamic's different. He's in New York on business, right. in, the co- in the fucking break room, having some coffee like anybody. You're like, I, 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 know what, I know what I would have done, though. I would not have bothered him, but I would have positioned myself to be near him all day. Sure. You know that move? Oh, yeah. Were you oh, yeah. Ma- I, ha- I need to make copies, too. They're like, oh, yeah, Jordan just went in the copy room. Yeah, I'm going to make some copies now. Yeah. I would be doing that right. all day. Yeah. And then every once in a while, I'll do a cool, like, what's up, man? What's up, dude? You like basketball? You, you play tall. You should play basketball. Dude, remember that time? <laughs> remember that time you slam dunk? That was sick. <laughs> I know you did a lot, but it was when, it was when you were on the Bulls. <laughs> <laughs> you remember Dennis Robin? Dude, I would go get a Wizards jersey and just wear the Wizards jersey. Or wear your Barons jersey. Oh, hell yeah. That, right? Dude, that's my way in because I'm a Birmingham guy. That, w- I, that would get his attention way more. If it, you had a Bulls jersey on, he'd be like, oh, cool. You know have, you know, I have both Birmingham oh, oh, yeah. Barons yeah, yeah. jerseys. That's why I said I have, it. Yeah. I have the home and away. Yeah. And and dude, when I started wearing those to like my friends' houses, they were like, man, you've really, <laughs> COVID really fucked you up, dude. When it did. Is the, is, is the Birmingham Barons like his Lulu? And the and the, and the uh, almost of the Grizzlies, um, no wizard. The Wizards are his embarrassing thing. Okay, the bear, he was actually pretty good at baseball. Yeah, it's just weird because he was at the height of his powers and he quit and right. he played baseball for a AAA team in my small hometown. Yeah, because the Barons were the White Sox AAA team. Right, and uh, until people people started to catch on to it, but for a minute there, you could go to the Met, the Hoover Met, where they played. And watch Michael Jordan play baseball for like two and a half bucks. Pretty rad. Eat a fucking hot dog with it. Me and my friends would just watch him and be like, that's Michael Jordan. Yeah, like Michael Jordan is on the field. Kind of like 75% capacity at the Met. Yeah. We were like, that's Michael Jordan. Like he's right there. What the fuck is going on? Um, yeah, it wouldn't be his Lulu. He he would, I mean, if he had stuck with it, he would have been okay. Yeah, sure. But then there was a, you know, there was a strike. There was a, a baseball strike, yeah. and during that, he was like, "Fuck this!" So he went, he went back to the the Bulls like mid season the second year. Yeah, and those are the two rings that Kim Olajuwon won right. the Rockets. So, um, yeah, the Wizards are the embarrassing because you know he he came back after three years of retiring the yeah. second time and actually played pretty well for his age, but didn't even make the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, that's a bummer. It's not a great way to it's go out. Not super. Yeah, it'd be kind of like if Metallica quit making records after Lulu. You're like, oh shit. Well, at least Death Magnetic was good. Yeah, for sure. Our last email is from uh, uh, Brian uh, uh, Keekbush, I think is how you pronounce it. Yep. I was never a huge Nirvana fan. 
I was listening to Soundgarden, Mother Love Bone, Pearl Jam before Nevermind came out. The videos for PJ's Alive and Jesus Christ Post from Soundgarden both came out before Smells Like Teen Spirit, and they were regular rotation on MTV. The groundwork for grunge had been laid down by other artists, and the timing was just right for Nirvana and that song to be a lightning rod. This does not make it the be-all, end-all of grunge, but it was just the hit that blew the door open. You guys going back and forth brought so many memories of me and my friends discussing the same thing. It always ended the same. Nirvana was an overrated band that just happened to have the song at the right, t- uh, right time, that had the perfect tone and right amount of angst to break the genre grunge out of, of the uh, dank basements and dirty teenager bedrooms into the mainstream. Uh, could have been a song like Once, Even Flow, Jeremy, Outshined, or Motherfucking Rusty Cage. <laughs> but the timing was just right for Smells Like Teen Spirit. Something could be said for the fact that Spirit uh, has a nonsensical, meaningless lyrics that lend themselves to being yelled out, but not for much interpreting. Hair metal was all about drugs, motorcycles, chicks, and, and loud fun. Uh, Spir- uh, uh, Spirit came along with dumb lyrics and fun, headbanging cheerleaders in the video. I'll go away now, but I'll be back. <laughs> Well, there we go. We have some balance there. There's some balance there, and there's something to be said for that. I, I get, I get both perspectives. That's the thing, you know. But, um, but yeah, we don't need to keep going on. We 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 went on t- for so long on the tangent city. So you know where we all stand. I'll keep going on. All right, fine. So <laughs> I think that in '92, I'm going to change your mind. I mean, I come from a culture of you know fighting for your feelings about music. Yeah, it's sure. Just, I don't really know any other way. You know, like, Mm -hmm. I don't think there's anything interesting about being like, well, you know, we're all special and different and valid. And of course that's true. I know that it's music. Yeah. But to me, it's life or death. Sure. Yeah. You know, I'm with you. Yeah. I I live and die by it. Yeah. I fucking live for it. Now, now if somebody wants to come out and and start ripping on something I like and doesn't have any, any intelligent statements to offer. Go away. I don't, you know, when someone's like, dude, Metallica sucks after Justin. I'm like, I don't, go away. I don't want to talk about that. Well, we, we you've also talked a lot about Metallica the last six years. True. You might be a little tapped out like That's me. That's true, yeah. Load and reload, go. Let me hear it. Let me hear your, your best uh, argument for it. Uh, no. I'll just be like, I'll text you the, yeah. the, uh, the episodes we discussed. I'm not that. interested. In fact, because that's different though. Someone's like, dude, Dave Matthews Band sucks. I'm like, well, it's your own, it, it's its own punishment. Yeah. You're missing out on a chunk of life. Mm-hmm. The Nirvana thing isn't, we all like it. We all like Nirvana. Right. What we're really arguing about is its cultural significance, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, oh, yeah. there's like a charge in that combo. And we're, you know, because as Paul said in the Tangent City, there's kind of historical facts like what happened. Right. Because his argument was it changed the business. It like changed everything. So we're we're talking about what happened, and we were there, mm-hmm. plus how we feel about the records. Yeah. So it all co- like collides into a really fun stew. Oh yeah, absolutely does. And I'm right about it. So <laughs> I'm just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Right on. It's just fun. Right on. Right on. Thank you for writing in Meldry Podcast Show at gmail.com. Maybe one day we will solve the grunge problem. Well, I don't know if that's gonna happen anytime soon, but um, I look forward to the day. Well, feel free to write in, especially if you agree with me. And uh, get on the right side of history over here. <laughs> We're going to let you hear a Patreon commercial. If you like the show, you like what we do, you got a couple of jingle jangles in your pocket, throw some bones our way, support the podcast, the people who make the things that you love. And we're going to come back from this break and we're going to dig into attitude. Let's go. Hey, everyone. Clinton Ethan here. And we want to tell you about a little thing called Patreon. Patreon is an easy and interactive way to support the people who make the things that you love. For as little as five bucks a month, you can ensure that Metal Up Your Podcast can continue to grow in quality and content. That's equivalent to a cup of coffee or a beer once a month. Not only is it easy and affordable, but we've made it a priority since day one to give back to our Patreon community. 
We've given away deluxe box sets, rare vinyl, black and whiskey, concert tickets to SM2 and Slane Castle, all four of our Cover Our World Black and EPs, 26 quarantine covers, and Lunar Satan demos, invitations to exclusive Zoom happy hours, the ability to ask our guests like Jay Weinberg of Slipknot, Lizzie Hale, and members of the Metallica crew your very own questions, and eligibility for our Metal Tale series where you can be a guest on Metal Up Your Podcast and tell us all about a notable Metallica show you've been to. Subscribe to Patreon today and immediately get access to years worth of bonus content. Thank you for supporting the people who make the things that you love. Peace. Adios. I can't talk about it anymore. It's giving me a headache. Here, take two of these. Ah, new print. Little. Yellow. Different. All right, so... It's attitude it up, man. Where, where, where was the song rank for you in, like, sort of... Uh, is this a song a skipper for you? Is it, were uh, you familiar with it? It's not a skipper. Definitely, definitely not a skipper. But it's not necessarily one that I, I gravitate towards. I don't, I don't put on that record and go, I'm listening to Attitude first. Usually, you know, usually I'm, I'm listening to the entire album. Right, but it's a great, it's a it's a rad song. It's a shame they never played it live. But like I said earlier in the episode, there's so much music they put out between these two records that it was just you know you had to pick and choose. In addition to having the biggest metal album of all time, you know your previous release. So it really is a curiosity that they made these double albums because mm-hmm. and and I I still believe you know I don't have any insider info on this, but I still believe that it was a response to the Use Your Illusion records. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I think they saw Guns do it, and they. I think they, in fact, we're going to talk about the, the lyrical, what I think the song means, and uh, similar to another song on this album, Better Than You, where that, that whole song is about, like, I'm trying to be better than you. It, there's this cool killer thing in it right. that, that obviously seems like mid-90s James. Yeah, for sure. The guy that wrote the Black Album. I think they kind of looked around and were like, who are they? Were, they were probably like, who are the other biggest bands in the world? Yeah. Okay. It's U2 and maybe getting into the 90s, Lars might say Oasis. Yeah. And it was Guns. I mean, Nirvana was done at that point. I mean, Kurt died in 94. So, like, they weren't, yes, they were still well known, but they were over. Yeah. Guns was, yeah, Guns was their, probably the closest as far as like it, it, it be considered their peers, you know? Yeah. And I, and I, I mean, I could be wrong, but I just don't see them looking around and being like, worried about nirvana or a pearl jam or anything like that yeah, yeah. i don't think they're, they they're, cared they're looking for more hard rock kind of like metal i think they resonated with the alice in chains the corrosions right and and the and the early sound garden like the 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 heavy shit yeah ultimately okay exactly and, yeah for sure but i think they looked at guns and they were like holy shit they're doing stadiums and they just released a double album number one and number two on billboard mm-hmm. like the same day i think there was something in them and james does call it like their u2 you know i think they probably looked at the u2s of the world and mm-hmm. were like how do we do that? U2 was all over MTV. Well, and that was an air, and that was also the era where U2 like pretty drastically changed their sound. Big time. You know? In fact, I was just mentioning this today to somebody, but um, one record that has not come up in this whole early 90s discussion, and I get it, we're talking about grunge, but is Octune Baby. Great record. I mean, it, just such a massive mm-hmm. cultural phenomenon because U2 did the Joshua Tree, which is arguably their masterpiece. Yeah. And then basically did a big new year's gig on 89 where they basically were like we're we're quitting until we can until we can find a way to be still be interested in doing music right yeah we're we're gonna go out at the top they were like they they sort of famously handed the spiritual baton to the police yeah and then they had to just go reinvent 
And that's what Octoon Baby was. And Octoon Baby was really confusing for a lot of people because they went from Bono waving the white flag at Live Aid with a mullet mm-hmm. crying about apartheid and shit to Octoon Baby was like really dark and like he had this devil character. And yeah. The lyrics were really sexy and like it, it was a new U2. It absolutely was. I mean, Mysterious Ways. But too, one and, of the, well, I mean, to me, one of their best songs of all time, one. Oh, big time. Is on that record. And it's just like, and that's an amazing song. Dude. And that is an amazing song. It really yeah. is. Another record, Automatic for the People, I think was really important. I haven't, man, I haven't listened to that in so long. I, I mean, to... Everybody Hurts, that's what's on that. Man yeah. the Moon. I need, and yeah, obviously Drive. some big hits on there. Yeah, but... huge hits. Yeah. That was a one-two punch from Out of Time. Out of Time had Losing My Religion, big MTV song. Right. And then they kind of followed up with their 90s juggernaut. Mm-hmm. My favorite REM album from the 90s is Monster. Did you ever get into that? I remember Monster. It was like 98 or something, maybe? uh, 95. Oh, was it 95? Just a straight-up rock album. Yeah. All Les Pauls. The big song was What's the Frequency, Kenneth. Yeah. I would love... I mean, I don't know if those dudes ever get back together, but... Oh, my gosh. Come on, REM? Yeah. I think they're done. I mean, they've been been broken up, shit, I don't know how long at this point, 15 years or something crazy? Yeah. Um, but watching that song exploder thing of them talking about oh my losing, my, losing my religion. I mean, I teared up watching. I know it. it's so beautiful. And immediately I was just like, dude, I would love for these guys to play music together again. They were so great. Yeah, they were so great. I love the stunt. We're going to get into attitude, but there's a uh, Radiohead has a really great rock album called the bends. Anyone mm-hmm. who likes rock music great record. Uh, needs to check out Radiohead's second album called the bends. It's not arty shit. It's just rock and roll. Yeah, for sure. REM took them out on tour. They were touring monster in 95. And uh, Monster was a big old fat hit. R.E.M. had already had Automatic for the People. Mm-hmm. So they took Radiohead out, but The Benz was breaking. Creep had already happened right. on Pablo Honey, their first album. But then with The Benz, it's like, so they were like darlings all of a sudden. They followed it up with even a more mature, better album, blah, blah, blah. Still hadn't even done OK Computer yet. Right. And like three shows into the tour, Michael Stipe was like, this is a co-headline tour. Mm-hmm. We're going to start flip-flopping the headlining spot. Yeah. On his own volition was that's like awesome. we're gonna start we're gonna open for you tomorrow we're gonna flip-flop and that happens i mean that happens that's it's pretty cool it's a tale as old as time it is a tale dude those vikings in the medieval times they were doing the same thing they were flip-flopping co-headline tours oh, yeah, for they, sure they, they co-headlined so many like viking ships out in the north sea and stuff right they were they were like the mountain orcs came out right. and they'd had one hit with burn the witch and then they were like burn the witch kind of took off with the hill people so we're going to start doing a co-headline tour on our Viking funerals. Yeah, we're going to let the Hill people headline tonight. All right, let's talk about Attitude. So the penultimate song on Reload. Reload seems to be one of the lesser metallic albums. It ranked pretty low, down with Sane Anger. Yeah. It's interesting to me. Load tended to rank kind of high, five and above. Reload was generally down at the bottom. I remember mm-hmm. my wife put together like stats when we took polls. Right. I guess people think it's a little more filler, less killer, I guess. I have a hard time seeing it that way just because of how important the album is to me. Right. I, don't, I don't quite have an objective view of it, but it is buried on the album. And I guess, mm-hmm. I guess if I had to pick a worse song, it might be Prince Charming. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of Prince Charming. You know, the bottom half, you got Slither, Bad Seed, Prince Charming, Low Man's Lyric. These are songs that are probably at the bottom because you're yeah. competing with Fuel, Memory, Devil's Dance, Unforgiven 2. Right. I I like Grammy Award winning better than you. I do too. Yeah, um, and I always I, like that song. And I think the lyrics have a lot of similarities too. Now check these lyrics out. So I, I mean, I'm not a huge Motorhead guy, and meaning uh, I love them. I love Lemmy, but yeah. I don't. I don't like know all their songs or records. I'm, I'm the same way. Yeah, I mean, like the obviously the early stuff, but I never listened to most of the records in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, but obviously a big band for Metallica, of course, and especially in this era because they they did the Motorheadache, you know, where they. 
they were the Limmies and they played his birthday party right. and they put that on Garage Inc. Yeah. Obviously big motor bands. And here in our beloved city, Nashville, Lemmy came out and did a couple of songs with them. Yeah, that's right. Too Late, Too Late and some other song I'm forgetting. So I sense a lot of uh, Motorhead in this. Now, check out these. Li- I think these lyrics are actually pretty badass. Let's hear it. I mean, it's not like poetry that's going to win an award. Right. But when you think about the music, I love that it matches up. Suppose I say I'm never satisfied. Suppose I say he cuts the roots to make the tree survive. Beanstalk. <laughs> oh, this is about giants in heaven. He says, let me kill you for a while. Let me kill you for a smile. Let me kill you once. I'm so bored to death. I hunger, I hunger, I eat. Born into attitude, asleep at the wheel, throw all your bullets in the fire and run like hell. Why cure the fever? Whatever happened to sweat? What do you think he's talking about? Uh, Kind of not giving a fuck and like forging your own path and and yeah, th- throw whatever in, in the fire, get rid of it. and and Well, when you throw bullets in the fire, they explode. They do, but... um. So he's saying, I think there's like a thrill-seeking, uh, f- kind of a fuck it attitude. Yeah, almost like it's almost like this anarchist kind of vibe. If you're gonna, you know, throw something in the fire that will explode. I think he's also singing about fucking. <laughs> Suppose I say I'm never satisfied. Suppose I say cut to the roots to make the tree survive. Let me kill you for a while. Let me kill you for a while. Are, are these? Not Let the- me kill you once. I'm so bored to death. I hunger. I eat. Are these, are these not the lyrics to "Hate Every Bone in Your Body" but mine? <laughs> I think it could go both ways. And then the second verse, he says, suppose I say the vultures smile at me. Suppose I say I sent them down. They plan to pick you clean. I think that taps into more of that like competition killer stuff. Right. Yeah. The satisfaction this way comes. Satisfaction this way comes. Satisfaction's here and gone. Gone. Yeah. And gone again. So the, the idea about the uh, not being satisfied. Yeah. You eat, you get hungry again. You you want to kill. You kill once. Then you get you bored. More. And you need to do it again. Right. You're throwing bullets in the fire. You're running like hell. Just needing the thrill. Yeah, yeah. Needing that. And whether it's booze or chicks or whatever, getting on a motorcycle, just needing that charge, you know? Yeah. It's almost, you know, it's like maybe about just like an, an addictive personality, you know, ne- that that need for something constantly. And unapologetic, you know, why cure the fever? Whatever right. happened to the sweat? Like kind of a like, yeah, and I like it. Mm-hmm. I'm this sort of killer and I fucking dig it. Right. I resonate with that. I think that's fun. I yeah, think it's for cool. sure. I dig it. This guy doesn't sound like the most fun guy to hang out with. I don't know if I want to hang out with somebody that's going to throw bullets in a fire pit <laughs> in my backyard. <laughs> there was another cool lyric in one of these choruses, the last one, or maybe it's the second one. Oh, yeah, he goes, so it's a double chorus. Born in the attitude, asleep at the wheel, throw your bullets in the fire and stand there. Mm. And then he says, born in the attitude, twist mother tongue, throw all your bullets in the fire and run like hell. Why cure the fever? Whatever happened to the sweat? I dig it, man. It's pretty cool. I mean, especially for being like a pretty buried song on reload yeah i don't know if i mean i don't know if i call them like deep lyrics necessarily but they're no. very, but they're very like it, they're very aggressive very in your face you know straight to the point they, and they have a lot of dare i say tood <laughs> there's a lot of tood in it it's aptly named for sure i also imagine too knowing what i know about how he writes we, the load and reload demos are out there but this isn't one of them yeah this was like we don't have a demo of this so there's no way to hear it but what i imagine based on what i've heard is they had the music in place and he kind of barked out dummy lyrics or like mm. dummy phrases. Right. And I think he just, I think the music as we're about to get into kind of denotes the attitude of the lyric. And right. I think he probably just matched the phrasing and the the, the like oh, syllables yeah. and pockets and was like, you know, I do that a lot in my songwriting. I'm like, what's just some cool shit to say? Oh yeah, it doesn't have to mean anything, you know? Or it can mean something, but it, it can kind of like be nebulous. It can, mm-hmm. You can kind of like, I, I always feel like writing songs, you just jump, you jump from like snippets of di- inner dialogue. 
Instead of being like, and then he met her at the fountain. (laughs) Then they walked from the fountain to the altar. Then they were married and had two children. And oh, how they loved. Like, that's one way to do it. Yes. Or you just have what I imagine is this kind of killer psychopath guy that's just thinking about himself. Mm -hmm. And he's like, this is how I'm satisfied. I eat, I hunger, right. and then it's gone. I'm born into attitude. Yeah. I'll throw my bolts in the fire and run like hell. Twist mother tongue. It, I mean, it, it, yeah, there, there's not like a, like, like a uh, very in-depth story happening. No. It's I, just like points. I, yeah. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. This is happening. To- that's happening. I think, you're, I think it's a three-minute snapshot into sort of the inner life of this guy. Yeah. And you know sure. how songs are. Like, it's not, I, don't, I don't think this is necessarily – James may just be telling a story via character that's kind of him. Right. But he's also maybe just painting with a brush where he's like, oh, I, I see who this guy is. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's a little bit of me. Maybe he's not. Yeah. But he's but this guy's fun. Like to me, this guy's kind of charged up. I can almost see like a uh, a little short story with this mm-hmm. this dude. Like it makes me think about Lemmy, like the Murder One video where it's like Lemmy on the road. I'm just thinking like an animated video of this song would be really cool. Exactly. Exactly. And it kind of chugs along like a... Uh, uh, that would in a way that would be good. It's like a car that's driving fast. Yeah, for it's sure. It's cool, you know. Yeah. Uh, and it starts with fucking ripping attitude. It starts. Like, <laughs> these kind of gnarly bends, yeah. and it's just James, you know. Yeah. It's all free time. And I love that count up too. Where he does like that. Yeah. Then he hits that again. He holds it, and then he does. The low one. Then it starts that riff. I love that it starts in A and then goes to E. And then it goes to E. Yeah, yeah there's a couple of interesting things like that. I think they do that a lot. I kind of saw it in Murder One where they'll kind of do something in this position and then to for the change in the song, they'll just move up. Right. And I don't think it's not necessarily a key change, but I think that's, that's, a, that's almost a, a preview of what's to come uh, in the hook of the song. Yeah, and that's another great thing that they do is like that. Right. He does that vocally. It, com- it becomes a hook. Yeah, exactly. You know? And it's just kind of great. It's great composition and storytelling through song where you're you're setting up a motif that we're going to hear later. You're, you're setting up something that you can call back to. Yeah, for sure. And I don't know how often when you've written songs, that was like some huge intention of yours. It's just sort of like what good songwriters do. Yeah, I don't think I've ever... Because I think I'm similar to James where like I'll write music usually first. Yeah. Um, hum some melodies, then eventually sing some gibberish over it. Yeah. And then sometimes the lyrics come out of that. Right. Um, unless I have an intention to write about whatever subject. But I don't know. I don't know if I've ever. Uh, I've, done, I've definitely done like a call back like towards the end of the song. You know, I'll bring back in a thing that's maybe in the vocal melody. Right. As like an outro melody on guitar or something. But I don't know if I've really. I'd have to think about it it's a cool little done that it's a cool little trick to think about yeah it is and you know you got to wonder if the song start like maybe the song started where they would count in two three four yeah and while they were just on the floor he just went like i just love the letting it breathe there's a lot of fucking swagger in this oh yeah there really is even the way he bends that note I can't even quite do it the way it's he that, does it. It's that it's about to bend, then it, then it goes quick. I can't even do it the way he does it. Yeah. Like I've tried it several times. Right. It's, just, it's just the way there's so many little things as we're going to get into about this. And I love that about this era that, uh, that are just really specific to his fingers. Yeah, for sure. And it's probably how he just grew up playing motorhead songs and diamond head songs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he holds his pick really strangely. If it was thumb, 
He holds it with three middle. fingers. So weird. I've You're, tried to play like it's it's, hard. It sucks. It's yeah. weird. But that's probably how he first did it. If that's just how you do it, that's how it goes, yeah. right? Um, and I'll I'll be inserting clips too because it's cool. Just like a lot of uh, songs from this era, the stuff that Kirk does kind of on the side is it has its own unique stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. He waits to come in for the, and then instead of going, so James goes, but Kirk goes, oh, even just that hammer little hammer on. And then, it gives it a different voice when you do And then that. James does the E. And then Kurt comes in for the A. And they both do the main riff, which is pretty cool. I love it when on, on the D, it does the root and third. That one right there, yeah. And what's cool about it, so this is obviously just kind of punk rock. I don't think James overthought this at all. But if you really listen and if you're kind of wanting to get inside what he's doing, when he grabs that, he bends the F sharp to a G. And then he hits the D and G strings open. So if you do it slow, it goes. You see what that's, I'm doing that's there? That's so rad. Yeah. That little bendy thing on the D is, is, is similar to uh, Outlaw Torn. I was actually going to bring that up. So. So yeah. he was obviously kind of jamming on these vibes. But uh, I, I love that, that little trick. Those are little those are little things as a guitar player sometimes you don't really think to do. Like, oh, I like this this uh root and third that I'm doing on that D, but just to bend it real quick to go to the next chord, like sometimes I don't think about that kind of stuff when I'm writing. Yeah, I and I wonder if he even thought about it, you know? Because when you do it so the thing I just did where he's like doing all that, yeah, that's like nerdy. If you wanted to play it like a scientist, mm-hmm. he ain't playing it like that, dude. Uh, I think he's just grabbing it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think if you want to break it down and learn what's going on with the strings, it's that. Yeah. It sounds so rad slow, too. I actually thought of a good counter series of this called uh, A-Side Dives. Oh, yeah. We break open a, a hit. Yeah, that'd be Wouldn't fun. Wouldn't that be fun? That would be cool. Um, so the cool thing about the main riff, which is the riff I just broke down for everybody, Kirk doubles it. But then, of course, there's a lot of Kirk kind of classic load era wah. Yeah. So Kirk's just doubling. Then he comes in with very Kirky Wastov.
cool. All right. So that's that. One of the cool things that James does do that I like when he ends the phrase to go into the verse riff is he goes. It's a slow slide off. I love that. And if you look at the, t- I lo- God bless the people who make the tabs online. Like for <laughs> right. real, I mean it. Like I use them. I, I, yeah, I, same. But, but here's what you can't do for you guitar players out there. You can't treat that like the Bible. Like no, you, no, no, you no. need to just use that as a starting point and l- use your ears yes, because exactly. the, the, uh, the tab has it going <laughs> like playing it like that, like a chromatic walk instead down. of what it is, which is James hitting that diamond on E and then a slow slide. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm like, James isn't going. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, I know he plays like, Sure, but he's not doing that in attitude. No, th- 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 and that's and that's where using your ears comes comes into play. It's right. like, you know, that's that's swagger right there. That's yeah. that's just feel. And it's similar to the the thing I was showing you, the pulling the the you know, he's mm-hmm. not really doing it that clean. No, it's really more of he's grabbing it. Well, and and that's what makes certain riffs kind of iconic is just is is the way it's played. You know, you could tab out a Van Halen riff, but. Oh, dude. But the way Eddie played it, it's like, okay, there's that thing. Dude, even, totally. here's a great example. Even Back in Black, the main riff, right? Yeah. If you tab it out and, and you learn it. I don't think I... Uh. That's right. a, that's my dumb way to play it. But right. That's not even really the new sound right. To Angus do it. It's like okay, I just learned it the same way. But, it, 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 yeah. But I'm, totally. not, I'm not Angus. It, totally. And little so little things like that that James does makes it very James and makes it his own. And, and we can emulate it, but it's not James. So I think about this all the time. The guy that I learned to play guitar from, his name is Matt Harris. He got a guitar about six months before me, and I really only got a guitar because I he quit hanging out with me because he was just he devoted all of his time to playing guitar. Yeah. And really, my clicking moment was his dad had a tailor. I didn't even have a guitar. His dad had a tailor. I was at his house. He showed me the chords to Alive. Mm-hmm. And he's like, if you can play these four chords, we can. And then he wanted to solo over it. Right. Yeah. He's like, if you can play these four chords, we can. We'll be jamming together. And that to me was like, so, you know, I clumsily. Yeah. He showed me EGDA. And then we jammed. Yeah. And it was like a light bulb. It was like, and I, I, I gotta imagine it sounded shitty, but it sounded close. Didn't matter back then. But he was always the guy that could read a tab book and then play it exactly the way it sounded. Like he just had whatever that thing is. Mm-hmm. And I would always work my butt off and it just always sounded a little squirrely. Right. And I think that, and you know, he didn't pursue a career in music because he ended up in cover bands and stuff because that's what he was good at. Yeah. But he could never write anything. Yeah. And I think what, what you get forced to do if you can't really like, I think it's good that if you can't play it exactly like Angus. I yeah. think James probably couldn't play it exactly like Angus. Sure. That's why you get. You, that's why you. That's why you get him going. He's just going brown and in in a way that I can't do. Yeah. Because he yeah. it forces you to come up with your own thing. Yeah, and everyone has their own different type of feel and everything, and and the, and the way you play it and. Yeah, just little little things you do on your left hand, the way you pulse your strings. vibrato. Yeah, totally. And that's one of the things I really do lo- like the yeah. the uh, the Ronnie riff. Yeah. That's just got the Hetfield thing. Mm-hmm. You you can kind of try to get inside of all the intricacies of the way he bends, but you're not really going to get it. You can get close. Yeah. You can do your version of it. Exactly, yeah. But I swear to God, I played that intro like 30 times with the recording, and it's yeah. like the finesse of those bins. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee you, he didn't think twice about it. 
No, he probably just did. He just did, he did what Hetfield does. He yeah. just did his he thing. Just did his thing, and he's just with a lot that, of with a lot of confidence. A lot of confidence, a lot of swagger. Just so a lot of cool. So okay. So going into the verse with which which is pretty cool. So he does the. Uh, So it's pretty bitchin'. It's pretty yeah. gnarly. And the, the cool thing that he's doing here that I honed in on is he's going, he's hammering on. It's a really quick B flat there. And it's hammering on from A to B flat. And he's not going, he's not doing the chords. He's just doing the roots. And I can't stress this enough, dude. When he's grabbing some of these, he's putting a little, a little stank on them. Yeah, he totally is. He's almost doing little quarter note bends. Yeah. The first time you played that through, I honestly didn't notice the B flat right away. You didn't? It was weird. I just didn't hear it that way. Now, now like, that's all I hear. But like the very first time you play it through, because that's not a riff I've ever really paid attention to. Me neither. And so, for a second, I was like, I, 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 "Now that you mention it, I, I think I think the B flat took me a second too." And he, obviously, it's metal music, and it's James. There's a lot in the kind of one to five box yeah, up here, for sure. But with the B flats, it made me think of Black and that. Yeah, for sure. Now, the cool thing about Kirk over on the right side, and I've recorded some of these and panned them so that we can hear this. But so Kirk's just doing a more simplified version where Kirk's going. I love that there's there's a, a lot of load and reload. There's a lot of like separate parts, and they're panned hard left and right. Yeah, and they're not always just playing the same exact thing, which is cool. Yeah, I would love to talk to them or Bob about it and say like, okay, you know, when James opened the door for Kirk to be more involved rhythmically, mm -hmm. which I think had really great rewards yeah sure i wonder if there was a combo where he was like hey when we crack this we're going to do this new thing we want our records to be a little more live off the floor loose have a little more air in them but i want you to make sure that you're not always doing the same thing or yeah or if it was just they're just a great band that has a lot of good intuition because another thing that really impresses me diving into these is how well they complement each other mm -hmm. because they both just have such a unique style James de definitely a little more punk rock and loose. Kirk a little more metal proggy, but they they blend. So it's the sound of Metallica. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I mean, if, in a way, this is like these records were the first almost live sound of Metallica on record. Yeah, obviously live. You know, they're both playing rhythm. Maybe and stuff like that. the uh, Garage Days, but yeah, but, right, yeah, sure. But that was kind of a just a fun garage, fun obviously thing. a garage experiment thing. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, that that little verse riff is just kind of surprising to me. I was like, oh, that's what it was. out of that into the pre-riff which is pretty fun it opens up it, this actually part of the song kind of sounds like stuntable pilots to me so it goes mm 
That it's, is very STP. It's kind of STP. And what's cool is Kirk's doing a kind of Dean-esque. Uh, it's going to sound weird by itself, but Kirk's going. Cool. Here's what that sounds like together. That's cool. And then the chorus. And there's the callback right there. There's a callback. Love it. And then he he hammers it with the vocal doing yeah. it too. Yeah. Oh, it's so awesome. When he says, uh, what is that lyric that he says over that? It's so good. He, he says, he says, why cure the fever? Whatever happened to the sweat? Then you're back in that. Yeah, that's cool. Second half, Kurt puts his wall over. Then they do. This is a cool thing that happens on the second verse is, and James did a lot of this in this era. So they're doing that main riff and they end it. They go. Oh yeah. Yeah. The old, uh, the, uh, it's like a, you basically kill switch vibe. It's a kill switch, but you, you turn one of your pickups off and then you mm -hmm. use your toggle switch. Yeah. It's the best. Especially when you start feeding back. It's great. Awesome. He does it on outlaw torn. But I love it because he does it fast. Uh. Yeah. Into the riff. Love it. I don't know if it's documented, but I wonder who the first person to figure that out was, where it's like to make it like that an effect, like the muting the one pickup. I mean, it can you mute an entire pickup on a strap? Well, you know what? Hendrix played Les Pauls. I bet Hendrix did it. He did, um, probably. Or maybe, he maybe did. Clapton or the Yardbirds or oh, maybe Jimmy Page. Yeah. I mean, it just, it had to have been on a two pickup guitar. Yeah. Um, where yeah, you can may, kill maybe Jimmy own. Page. I don't know the first person to do that because now that's like such a standard thing. Like, I well, mean, now like Matt Bellamy from Muse has like the kill button. He's a button, yeah. Bop, 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 he's bop, got bop, one. Tom Morello has one. Eddie Van yeah. Halen had one. Yeah, and then you can also do it with pedals. Yeah, but I like the old school vibe. And there's a, a there's a clickiness there too because of the toggle switch. Yeah, Tom Morello is pretty famous for it. Yeah, that that dude. Did a lot of really amazing things with Tom Morello has a uh, well his his uh, kill switch or whatever isn't just a button it's an actual toggle switch like a pickup selector but all it does is go turn everything on and off right so you can do it on either pickup bop, 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 bop. and he also had such great he had a great touch with all oh that. god yeah like the intro to know your enemy that totally yeah the whole riff is that yeah yeah that's like the main riff and that's him just doing it manually yeah yeah, there's always a great guitar players. I mean, I, I was, you know, a kid of the 90s. Always when pedals happen, I just always liked pedals. But someone like Daniel Lanois, he has a lot of ambient. He's kind mm -hmm. of the godfather of ambient shit. He produced the Joshua Tree. He produced right. Unforgettable Fire. And if you watch his shit, dude, he just does it all with his volume knob. Mm -hmm. Like, it's he, crazy. He'll, he'll set a, he travels with this like 80s rack delay. Yeah. No tap tempo. He just kind of sets it and leaves it. Yeah. And then he he does everything kind of with his fingers and with his volume knob. And I've seen him live before doing a, tr a tremolo effect where mm -hmm. he walked to his amp and just did it with his volume knob. Whoa. <laughs> he would like hit a diamond. It lasted forever because, but again, it's not like he has a spaceship yeah. pedal board. Right. Real bare bones. That's but he, crazy. But it's just set so good. He plays a gold top Les Paul. He just hits this fucking diamond that lasts yeah. forever. And then he'll just make a tremolo with his volume pedal. 
That's it's so just rad. real. Yeah, because it's, it's, that's what tremolo is. It's, it's just the volume it, going up and down. Exactly. And that's that's why you perceive a volume loss right. when you turn. A lot of modern trim pedals have a volume boost in them. Yeah. Because when you when it does that, the per, there's a perception orally of volume loss. Yeah. I'm over here going like, well, I need one with a tap tempo. <laughs> Me too, dude. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, and I make peace. With, it's kind of similar to what we're saying about this whole episode. I, I make peace that I'm not Daniel Lenoir. Sure. Of I course. couldn't do that and it work. But every, listen, as guitar players, musicians in general, everyone has their set of tools. We have yep. our own set of tools and they work for us and what we, you know, and what we need. Everyone has their best friend who's Tim the Toolman Taylor. Exactly. We look at him over the fence. Never show the bottom of our face. Never, never. God, no. <laughs> Dude, young listeners are not going to know it. No, is. they won't know that. <laughs> okay, so uh, the second chorus doubles up. And I do like in this chorus, you really have to grab that G. That slide off too, that bound off. Yeah, it's like really, yeah, it's, great. it's really important that you're not just, uh, like if you listen to it, you hear it, it's really important that you put some attitude into it. I'm not even being punny. Little dude. Uh, so then that doubles up. You go back into the main riff. After <laughs> then you get a little guitar harmony. Yep. solo so that's james's part there's actually a really cool under it dude that this is like kind of a heavy chug right under it here's here's kirk's part them all together dude the that, solo starts that isolated right there could sound like it was on justice oh hell yeah there we go that, it, it, i don't know like the second those harmonies kicked in i was like without drums or anything else it, it sounds like justice i'd love to get some deets on what they used for at the plant for the load reload stuff because yeah. i've got some pretty bitching amps here and i couldn't really quite there's a squishiness to james's tone in particular that's mm -hmm. really nice it's kind of but you know that was back in the 90s, dude. They would spend like weeks dialing in. Oh, just like amp cabinets. And absolutely. Greatest microphones, greatest compressor, outboard yeah. gear. That's that's the squishy here. The, the, uh, labels and bands had the budget for that. Right. right. You know, like you could spend seven months in a studio. We're now like, you know, you and I go to Paul's to record on a record. It's like we're in there for five days. Right. And then we're gone. <laughs> you got to do it so fast. So fast. You got to get. That's That's what's wild about now is you have to get great tone fast and you have to get great parts fast yeah, and, and luckily if you have a place like hq3 the smokestack 
everything's kind of ready to go. Maybe not 100% dialed in for what we're going to be working on, but like, like there's a whole amp room that there are things are there's microphones out already, you know. So you kind of have a head start in a way. And I bet they, and even though they were recording the tape and they weren't on a grid, I bet they did the intro to Attitude like 20 times. Right. And they picked the best one, and they're probably able to blend, mm-hmm. cut tape, and edit tape. Yeah, for sure. Um, so a lot's been said on these episodes about what's happening under the solos. We're going to hear the solo in a second, but here's kind of what's going on. James does the verse riff. Don Diamonds. Cool. So the solo kind of goes over three different parts. Right. And that diamondy thing, when he goes to a B minor and a C, I love that, that never happens again. And that's what's great about, uh, the, the I would say, the majority of James's rhythm yeah. underneath the solo is it's just, it's complete, it's, it's its own part in the song. Yeah. I love that. It's pretty cool. It's like, and I've done that with some of my stuff too, where I'm like, oh, what's something just cool and different we can do that makes sense harmonically, but mm-hmm. it, like just a little ear break. Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay, they do another verse where they do a pretty cool, we'll hear how this breaks down, but, you know, he does the. And he does like kind of a truncated version. And then Kirk finishes and goes. And they split it up. Cool. Obviously, those things sound really good together. Uh, Split up. Here's verse three. That's rad. So going into the third pre-chorus, this is a little different. This is pretty cool. That the Stone Temple Pilots part. He puts these chuggy A's in oh, there. Yeah. And, so, and it, what's interesting about that is you would think he would go. Uh, but he opens up the A. I don't know what it is, but. In in any Metallica song, no matter what record, if there is an open A chug, it just reminds it, it, to me that's like the sound of Kill 'Em All exactly. Atlas Rise. I can't. I don't know how to play it. It's just a two note thing on the D and G string. Oh, it's. Uh, B flat A, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds exactly like Atlas shit. Sorry, everybody. Okay, and then lastly, so they do a double chorus, which is pretty cool. Nothing that out of the the ordinary. There is, I meant to say this, when they double up the choruses, Kirk does another kind of Kirk Wah thing. So the normal chorus is... Kirk starts doing like a... Yeah. It's, it's nothing. A, it's a little texture. It's just a texture. It's nothing, nothing, nothing worth putting a microscope on, really. Right, of course. Oh, I didn't let us hear the solo. So you will hear, as usually when we do these, 
oh my God, dude, this took me so long last night. <laughs> uh, not because it's hard, just because it's kind of buried in the mix. It's kind of got the wah and it's all this pentatonic bluesy stuff. Yeah. And when you, it's an improvised solo. So learning an improvised solo note for note is more difficult than like learning like the fade to black intro. Right. It's very sort thought of out, written composed. piece. Of, I, I could play that in my sleep, you know, because I've learned it. Learning someone's kind of wah improvise things a little more difficult yeah. but nevertheless here it is so you're going to hear the recording on your left you're gonna hear me on your right You nailed it. It took a minute, but thank you. There's something about that that kind of that blue scale range. If Kirk just stays there, it makes it harder to figure out because it's like I don't know. You, there's there's a very, there's limited possibilities, but in, in you know factor in the wah too. I don't know. It's like it gets a little repetitive in a way, not in a bad yeah, way. Yeah, it does. I mean, he's basically doing the same. I mean, what he does is. He's kind of just camped out there. Mm -hmm. the, the cool run, the coolest run to me is the top where he goes. I love how long he stays on that. Well, he, what's cool is he turns it. This actually took me a second to get, but he turns it around like the 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 down of it because. Yeah. Yeah, flips up, flips upside down. Yeah, it's like those little kind of things where you hear it at first, you're like, "Oh, this sounds kind of noodly," but then when you get inside of it, you're like, "Oh, that that's cool." Yeah, that's like really cool. different. And if you're just gonna be, it's like it's kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, it's, cool. it's just blues. I mean, listen, like the majority of lead stuff I write is based around the blues scale. Same. It might, you know, something might change here and there, but that, I mean, that's the most. I mean, every ACDC solo is the blues scale, essentially. You know? Well, dude, one of the first solos I learned, you know what the solo is? <laughs> that's uh, alive. Pearl Jam Alive. Yeah, that's all blues scale. Yeah, that's, I mean, that that's like my starting point, yeah. is that, you know? Yeah, I remember when when my dad taught me the blues scale, that was one of the first, when I, when I could actually solo, I remember when that came out, I was like... I, I show my dad. I'm like, is this the blue scale? He's like, that's sounds like it. But the thing is, the alive solo that riff is completely ripped off from Kiss. There's a song called She. You ever heard that song? I, think, uh, I swear to God, this is the how the solo goes. <laughs> wow, it's 100% ripped off. Crazy, yeah. Do 
You think McCready is a big Kiss guy? And they're huge Kiss fans. Yeah. You ever heard their cover of Black Diamond? I don't think I have. All right, this isn't a Kiss podcast. Um, I know at least Mike's a big Kiss fan. Yeah. Okay, so the only other thing is they do the double chorus. Kirk adds the wah, usually on the second half of the chorus, but it ends pretty cool, so they go... And then they, Kirk's part goes... Uh, those together this is what it sounds like it's a little callback to the solo yeah so it's awesome everyone out there man if you're writing hard rock songs this is these are some of my takeaways is like not being afraid to call back to hooks. And yeah. again, I would love to just talk to him about it. Like, did you guys do, you know, did you guys do it on purpose or? Right, yeah. Or maybe Bob Rock was like, you know, it'd be cool for this ending. Instead of, it just would have been so easy to go, boom, bop, bom, bom, bom. Exactly, yeah. But instead they were like, you know what? Let's just tighten up. Let's just do something a little cool at the end. Yeah. I, I mean, I think they've done that on, on in the past a lot too. Like uh, one of the, one I was thinking of was um, Disposable Heroes. Yeah. Oh you yeah. Think that the outro. song's going to end, right. and also goes back to the pre-chorus. Yeah. Like, but but no vocals. Right. I love little throwbacks like that. Yeah. You know, and I love on Attitude the in the first thing you hear in the song is like the tagline. Yeah. And it's just on guitar, and then you get the hits, and then it kicks in. But it's like at a, first you're like, oh, it's just bending a note, big deal, you know. But then when you f hear it in context, you're like, oh, that's cool. At first, it kind of feels kind of throwaway noodly. Yeah, it does. And then you realize, yeah, you realize later, like, oh, he was telling a story. Mm -hmm. Like, it to me, it's just a good story. That's almost that little bend at the beginning. It's like the trailer for the movie. Yeah, you know, it just show it's you a, a little something. It's a foreshadow. Yeah, and the best songs do that, man. The best songs do that, and mm -hmm. I think the best songwriters do it without thinking too much about it. Right. There's, you know, there's that weird balance of. I, you know, I'm kind of a student of everything I love. I'm the type of guy that's going to read everything about the Beatles for mm -hmm. a minute. I, I tend to like get hot on seasons, but there's this weird thing really? of like, yeah, I know it's weird. <laughs> um, I'm wearing Michael Jordan flip flops right now, but Michael Jeffrey Jordan. But there is a thing about you got to learn, got to get all this information in you, but mm -hmm. then you almost got to like, you cannot be thinking too much about that to really make something great. I think. Yeah, for sure. It's the it's the learn it and then forget it crap. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, there was attitude. I mean, uh, hey, that's awesome. I hope everyone enjoyed it. That was super fun to dig dig into that song. And uh, this has been a long episode, so let's let all the babies get out of here and get some rest. I think we should. Uh, they, they all sound pretty tired. <laughs> I can hear some some whimpers. So a lot of snoring during my guitar playing. Yeah. All right. We love you guys. Thanks for all the support. We'll see you on the flippity floppity. Bye. Adios. <laughs> Advice or what would you say? Then I would say, delete that. <laughs> <laughs>